0: here yeah.
1: St. James, I'm glad you're here. It's a little weird uh, being all spread out like this, Uh, but it's better than last week. It's better than uh, being in here with nobody else but me and a few other people. Uh, So you're at the live stream service, so uh, just be aware that uh, this is being on the internet right now. I will tell you that when when you come up for communion, you will not be on video. So um, we're going to cut to the song uh, lyrics for the hymns that are being sung there too, so you don't have to worry about being seen on video there. Uh, Let me do uh, just a couple quick announcements about what's going on today. First of all, we've slimmed down, like if you're a real big liturgy fan, we've slimmed down the liturgy to try and get the services in and out as fast as possible. So there's stuff that you maybe are used to having in the liturgy that will not be in there. And that's temporary uh, as we figure out what's going on and get back to different service times. We'll start adding those parts of the services back. But for right now... um, we're trying to, so that we need to sanitize the sanctuary when you guys leave, and it needs to sit for 15 minutes. So, we're trying to be timely about getting us in and out of here. To that end, let me give you um, some communion instructions. We're not coming to the rails. We're going to do continuous communion uh, for right now. So, what's going to happen is, is that one of the elders will come and will we'll give you directions by family up here to the front where you'll all come and then. Uh, me and another elder, will serve you communion. I'll give you the blessing, uh, the dismissal blessing then, and then you can just leave uh, from there and uh, go home. So make sure you bring everything up that you brought with you. Bring it up with you when you come from communion. Also, uh, communion cups, there's a basket back there for them. Offering, there's a basket back there for that that you can just drop on your way out. If, you want to come to the, if you've been, uh, not been coming to the Bible studies on Zoom and you would like to, uh, we're still going to do that. It's going to be at 11.30 today instead of 10.30 like we've been doing since the third service isn't going to get over until about 10.30, about 11.15, I should say. Um, so if you want to do that, send me a request. Sometimes just shoot me a text or an email, and I will send you an invitation. Uh, it's super easy. Uh, I'll send you out an email, and I'll have a link in there, and you can join us uh, from 11.30 to 12.30. I think that's all the announcements I have. So if you guys will stand, and we'll begin worship. I should tell you that you don't need, you shouldn't have any need for grabbing hymn books or Bibles. Everything in the service will be in the bulletin now. So it's not bad if you wanted to look up something in the Bible or look at a hymn, but you don't have to. All right, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's confess our sin to God. O Lord, merciful Father, you keep covenant and steadfast love with those who love you and keep your commandments. We confess that we have not listened to Your servants, the prophets. We have not heeded Your law, nor have we rejoiced in Your gospel. We confess that things have fallen apart. But Lord, You keep covenant even when we do not. Your love is steadfast when ours is frail and fallible. You are faithful even when we are faithless. We want You to be our God, and we want to be Your covenant people, Grant us the gift of faith. By your Holy Spirit, work in us steadfastness and singleness of heart that we might manifest your love in the keeping of your commandments and the living of your gospel. O Lord, merciful Father, hear our prayers in the name of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new and eternal covenant, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from 1 John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave authority over and gave them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles were these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pay, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor nor copper for your belts. No bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated.
0: songs of loudest praise. While the drink from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, he to pass his his precious blood. Oh, to grace how great great a debtor daily I but strange to me. Let that grace now now like a To wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts of all. Oh, that day when free from sinning, I shall see. see.
1: reading for this morning is the sermon text. We're going to finish up Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 15. Uh, What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But... For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Paul starts off with this text with the question, which is really similar to the question he asked in verse 1 at the beginning of Romans 6. What, there he asks, what shall we say then? Are we, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Here he says, what then are we to sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace. In other words, okay, so we're not under the law anymore as Christians. Does that mean we get to do what we want? Can we just sin as much as we want? And uh, Paul says, uh, God forbid, in the King James Version here, uh, no way, by no means... Uh, It's really super strong in the Greek. It's basically like a no way with an exclamation mark. No way, that's not possible because the issue is, if you've been uh, listening to the live stream the past few weeks, the issue in Romans 6 is one of slavery. What's your status? Are you a slave of sin and unrighteousness, or have you been liberated? Have you been joined with God in Jesus Christ so that you've been liberated from the status of slave? And if you're not a slave anymore, then there's no more reason to obey uh, what your old slave master is telling you to do. There's no reason to live in sin. It doesn't make any sort of sense that you would want to go back and obey that slave master. For Paul, there's just two options here for slavery. So he basically in, this, in what we read this morning, you're going to be a slave, right? You're going to be a slave of either, there's two options here, righteousness or unrighteousness. Let me read verse uh, 16 to you. Don't, again, don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You're a slave of one of these two. You, you don't have a choice. You're either going to be a slave of God or a slave of sin. Uh, this is like the um, um, Bob Dylan song. Remember when he was going through his Christian phase, if you're old enough? That song, uh, "You've you got to serve somebody." Right this is what he sent this is what Bob Dylan is saying in that song it's like you don't have you don't there's not like a middle ground you're going to you're either going to be serving god or you're going to be a slave to sin and i know like the you guys are all postmodern so everybody's thinking right now i don't know if that's true like why can't i like i so okay i i don't serve god but it's not like i'm exactly serving sin why don't i just i can just do what i want right like why don't i just nobody would say the phrase serve myself but why don't i just do what i want and, actually, so it's not possible. The Bible teaches that, but also, like, your own experience teaches that, right? Jeremiah says, famous text, I've quoted this to you before, uh, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Your heart is desperately wicked. Which that, that's, not, that, that's not, like, a really good Disney theme, right? Your heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. Who, who is my heart deceitful to? Is my heart lying to you? No. My heart is lying to me. See, Paul, Jeremiah imagines that my heart as like some sort of character outside of myself telling me what You know, we, we used to like to imagine that like in quaint cartoons of like the little demon sitting on your shoulder. That, that, that's not actually a demon. That's actually my heart sitting on my shoulder telling me what to do, lying to me. Here's the way Paul puts it in Romans 1. Now, we didn't look at Romans 1. We started with 5. But to go back to Romans 1, he says this. You know, imagine somebody, he says in Romans 1, somebody who has habitually given themselves over to rebellion. Somebody who said, God is not for me. Like, I do what I want. Paul describes that person this way in verse 24. He says, um, God gave that type of person up to God's judgment. No, he doesn't say that. God gave that type of person up to the lust of their hearts. He just said, okay, you don't want to follow me? You can be a slave. It's maybe a slave of your own heart, but you're not in charge. Your own passions and your own desires are in charge. Like we're, not in contr- we're not in control of our hearts. Its desires are actually in control of us. It's like the, um, uh, now that I'm quoting 70s pop music, uh, the Eagle song Desperado, right? It's about this, uh, maybe I've mentioned this song to you before. It's about this guy who's like, I do what I want, right? I live on my own. I don't need anybody else. Right? The chorus is like, you better let somebody love you before it's too late, because he refuses human contact because he's his own man. He's a desperado. He's an individual. It's a song about American, uh, the, the American individual. There's this great line in there that goes like this. Freedom, you know, he, he thinks he has freedom. Like, I, I'm not owned by anybody. Freedom, the line goes, freedom, it's just some people talking. It's just words that you use when you're trying to make sense of, what, of your own slavery to whatever you're a slave to. Freedom is just some people talking. You're prison is walking through this world all alone. You think that it's your freedom, but it's actually you're a slave to it, you're a prisoner to it. And this is what Paul is saying. Like, you're going to be a slave of something. Either God or sin. There's no sort of like middle ground where you're your own postmodern actualized individual. You belong to somebody. You are controlled by somebody. It's either your own passions or it's by God. Well, how can you tell which one you are? For Paul's answer, it's in verse 16. Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey. You can tell whose slave you are by the person that you obey. Now, what Paul is not saying is that I really need you guys to obey God so that you can become God's slave. He's saying, you already are God's slave. Look what he says in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, you aren't anymore, have now become obedient, etc. Verse 18, having been set free from sin, and you are now slaves of righteousness. He's not saying, he's not saying, you have to obey God so that you can become God's slave, and you cannot be sin's slave anymore. He's saying, for those of you who are Christians, you have been, verse four of chapter six, you've been baptized into Jesus so that when Jesus died on the cross, you died with him, and when Jesus rose from the dead, you became alive with him, and that means your status is you are not a slave anymore. You are in Jesus. And so let your behavior flow from your status. You are in Christ. Just live like it. You are not a slave of sin anymore. So there's no reason to go back there and do what sin tells you to do. Okay, I'm on a hot streak of quoting from the novel Rebecca. And it's a Hitchcock film too. For those of you who are like, ah, novel Rebecca, sounds like girly stuff to me. It's a Hitchcock movie. Think of it like that if you want to. So in this Hitchcock movie, there's this main character who I I told you in the previous weeks. She has, this poor girl. She's married this landed gentleman, Maxim de Winter, and now his housekeeper is trying to boss her around, and she lets her do it for a while until she's like, wait a minute. I'm married to the guy who owns this. That means I own this. That means I'm in charge of you. Well, let, let me tell you another story from there. Prior to the getting married, you know, she's, she's traveling with this rich widow woman who, she's the paid companion of this rich widow lady. And th- that means that this woman pays her a little bit of money. She was a poor girl. And, you know, she's got an education and she's been cleaned up. And she travels around with her so that she has company. And it's somebody to kind of be a gopher for. You know, hey, go, get, go get me some coffee or something like that, you know. Go ring the bellboy and tell him to come and get the luggage. And so th- this woman, the rich woman, uh, bosses, the main character around quite frequently, well, she, she meets Maxim de Winter and falls in love with him. And they decide that together we'll go tell her boss that she's leaving her. So they go and tell her, look, she's engaged to me now. We're going to be married, and she no longer belongs to you. And the woman's kind of taken aback. And then she kind of gathers herself and says, okay, so, so she doesn't have a mother. I'll tell you what, I will plan the wedding. I will be in charge of this and make sure that you have a good wedding, okay? So, and she says to the girl who, who uh, just a few minutes ago worked for her, she says, now I, here's what we're going to do. I, I want you to go down and get our luggage and move it back into the hotel, and then here's the three things I need you to do, and, and the, Maxim De Winter says, no, no, no hold, hold on. So, so when she says that, the, woman, the, our, the, the main character looks at her boss, looks at her fiance, and is like, what do I do? There's this moment of like, where do I fit in this scenario? I have habitually obeyed this woman. Now I've been liberated. Do I still have to obey the woman? And Maxim de Winter says to the woman, no, you don't tell her what to do anymore. uh, did, Did you hear me? She's going to be my wife. She no longer works for you. You go take care of whatever you want to take care of. But she's with me now. That's what God has done for us. He's given us this new status in him. We belong to him. We're connected to him. You no longer need to work for the old boss. You, don't, you no longer need to obey sin. That's how you know you're not a slave of sin is because you don't have to obey sin anymore. Okay. In other words, obedience flows out of status, right? You don't obey to get in. You obey because you're already in. You don't obey to get a relationship with God. We obey because we already have a relationship with God. You don't obey to get forgiven. You obey because you're forgiven, right? The baptism happens first, way back in verse 4. Being united with Christ happens way back in verses 3 and 4. And now, once that's true, now we can talk about how do we live then. Obey. Obey God. Don't obey unrighteousness. Quick caveat that Paul gives here, though, is verse 19. Look at this. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. What he's saying is this. is Okay, I'm, I'm giving you a human analogy here. Slavery to sin, slavery to God. Just because it's hard for us to understand that, that concept. And so I'm trying to make it as clear as possible. But actually, he goes on to say... They're not very similar. Like slavery to sin and slavery to God are not equals. In fact, slavery to God is actually freedom. You know, if you want to understand it as like I belong to God, he's my owner now, that's fine. But don't think of it as slavery in the same way that slavery to sin is. There's three different ways that he compares these things. Uh, Check this out with me. First of all, sin is impurity and more sin, but God, being slaves to God, is sanctification. Look at verse 19. Uh, farther down than the text we just read. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity. You know what impurity is, right? Like, mixed. Like, people, part of you lives one way, but part of you is kind of doing something else that's not compatible with the way that you claim to live. That's mixed. That's, that's impure. It's not just like God's like morally like, oh, it's actually not a healthy psychologically way to live. You know, I gave you the example one way last week, is to say, I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible, but like my sexuality, I, I do what I want with it. That's actually a good way to have psychological problems, because it's impure. Like you're taking part of your who you are, and you're separating it from who you really are, and that sort of, we talked about the word last week, if you were listening last week, the word dissociation, it's a psychological word. That kind of dissociation is incredibly damaging. That kind of like lack of one single-mindedness. Well, that's what sin does to you. It takes you and it pulls you apart in all different kinds of ways. It also, he says here, it's lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Lawlessness, Lawlessness—that just means doing what you want, right? No law leads to more lawlessness. There's this myth that, like, you just kind of got to let it out once in a while. You know, you just got to tie one on at both ends and then get it out of your system, and then kind of come back to humanity and live live a normal life. You know, there's this kind of myth that, like. Sin is this like energy that you just got to expend. And then, okay, once I've done that, I can come back and, and live a normal life. I, I can get back to being a good person. There's this study done several years ago. It was reported in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. And these sociologists got this a group of uh, participants together, and they did a test with them. First, they had them all write papers, like a short paper on a topic. And then they said, we're going to grade these papers and get them back to you and let you know how you did. And a couple days later, these participants got the paper back, and the papers were all incredibly insulting. Like the papers all said, I'm not, I'm not kidding, stuff like, this is maybe the worst writing I've ever read. Your thoughts are so incoherent. Here is A, B, C, D, E, F, things that you did wrong. And we want you to go back and rewrite this, because this is just stupid, what you've written. It, like intentionally insulting. And the people questioned the people who sent them the paper about it. And like, well, what's up with this? I've always done good. And they kept on insulting them. And what they did was they got them like, they, worked, they, they systematically worked these participants up into anger. And then they said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take two minutes, and then you're going to play a game. And in this game, you're going to be competing against other random people who aren't in the, in, in the study. And part of the competition, not going to get into the game too much, part of the competition is you're going to sound these buzzers off at your opponent. But in the two minutes between when you got your paper back, and we talked about it, and when you play this game, half of you, half of the participants, they sent to a quiet room by themselves and just said, sit here in this chair and just sit for two minutes. And then the other half, you've heard this myth before, the other half they said, here's a punching bag for two minutes, punch this punching bag. You ever heard this theory before? Like, if you're, anger, if you're angry, you just gotta let some steam out. right? The, the notion that anger is like the steam that builds up and if you can just punch a punching bag for two minutes, like you can let the anger out and then you'll be calm. And what they found during the game was that the people who had been punching the punching bag for two minutes blew the, the horn at their opponent much more aggressively, much more frequently, much longer, and much louder across the board than the people who sat still. And, and what they concluded in this study is, is that actually getting angry doesn't dissipate your anger. The actually lawlessness leads to more lawlessness. Why? It's slavery. You're not in charge of it. Right, so you might think like, okay, so like, you know, my sexual urges are real strong. I'll look at some porn and then I'll get rid of the sexual urges and I can just kind of go back and live my life. It's not, that's not the way porn works. Like the more porn you look at, the more porn you want to look at. Let me preach it myself for a second here. I'm a huge, you guys know this, I'm a my gluttony is so inside my heart. And so many times, like I've said, okay, I'm just going to have one blowout meal tonight and then tomorrow I'm going to get serious. Some of you have done that too, maybe not with, with eating, but with, other, with whatever it is that your sin that's trying to enslave you, you do that. And you know that that actually doesn't lead to less overeating. That sort of lawlessness just leads to more lawlessness, right? So you might think, I- I'm not going to lose my anger again. But it's actually because, of it's, because it's slavery, it actually enslaves you more. That's what sin does because it's slavery. But what grace and righteousness do, check it out in verse 19. um, Yeah, verse 19. So now, very last line. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now, I don't want to talk about sanctification too much here because the sermon next week is going to be about justification and sanctification and what it means to live the Christian life now. But for right now, sanctification is just a 25-cent word for holiness. Purity, like being a whole person, like being complete, single-minded. like work, That only happens in Jesus Christ, by the way, because we were created to be this way, and only Christ can repair that. So what, what the gospel promises you is slavery to purity, whole-mindedness, single-purpose, clarity. What sin promises you is more and more slavery. So two different types of slavery, right? Second type is this. These, these next two will be quicker here. Sin leads, slavery to sin leads to shame. Look down at verse uh, 20, 21. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? When I overeat, it's embarrassing. When, when I, so we've, we've had friends over before and I will overeat in front of them. And I, there's this story that, they're, they're not here this morning, uh, but there's, there's this story that uh, Dave Moltenhauer will tell about the amount of cookies I ate for dessert one night. And it's actually, like, real embarrassing to me, you know? And so for him, it's like, ha-ha. And for me, it's, like, shameful. Not because there's anything wrong with eating cookies, but because it's embarrassing to be enslaved by something like that. You know what this is about, right? You know that there are things that you think, that there are things that you do or have done. There are words that you've said that if everybody else in this room knew them, you would be horribly ashamed. That you, yourself, when you think about them, are ashamed. That's that old slavery to sin, rearing its head and saying, that's what I have to offer you, right? But instead, the gospel, being a slave to God, does not create shame, but it creates, again in verse 22, sanctification. There's that word again. Not shame, but like the knowledge that who I am in front of the world is a legit, real person. I am holy before God. I've been set apart from God. I am, like, I am who, what you see is what you get from me no shame attached. Third thing, slavery to sin leads to death. Last line of verse 21, for the end of those things is death. Slavery to God leads to eternal life. Last line of verse 22, the fruit you get as slaves of God leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. He's going to mention eternal life again down in verse 23, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life, what is that? It's actually a horrible translation, and all of our Bibles say eternal life, and I hate it. Because in in, in Greek, what it literally says is, the life of the age. The life of the age. Which is a Hebrew shorthand for life of the age to come. When Jesus returns and makes all things new, raises our bodies from the dead and heals them, restores the environment, restores our relationships, that's the age to come. And what God is offering us here, as slaves of him, is freedom... Leading to sanctification, pure of heart people, pure of body people, pure of mind people, pure of behavior people, leading to the life of the age to come, which we have now, which we're experiencing now as his slaves. So that's the caveat. Slavery to God is actually less slavery and more real, legitimate, taste it for the first time in your whole life, freedom. That's what slavery to God's like. Now, if you're paying attention, uh, what you'll notice here over the past several weeks is there's a tension. There's a tension between who we are and what we're being asked to do. Paul makes it real clear here. You are not slaves of sin. You are you belong to God. You have died to sin, and you are alive to God in Christ. That's who you are. No questions asked. That's your status. But then he goes on to say, you know, he says, you're not slaves to sin. And then he goes on to say later, but don't let your members be slaves to sin. If if I'm not a slave to sin, how is it possible for me to be a slave to sin? And let me just say this. Next week, I'm going to try hard to unpack what that means in real time for us as Christians. How does our status and our condition work together? But let me just point us forward here this morning with with just a couple of analogies, a couple of of, uh, stories to illustrate this, and then we'll be done. The first is this, and I've done this before, so it should be a little bit familiar to some of you. Imagine that you've been arrested for a crime that you committed. And you go to court and you are acquitted. The judge pronounces over you the sentence, not guilty, even though you know that you actually did the crime. Okay, are you guilty or are you not guilty? Which one? And the answer is yes, right? You're not guilty. Legally, before the law, you're completely innocent. You can never be punished for that sin. In the law's eyes, you are just as innocent as as a newborn baby. But actually, in reality, in your day-to-day, you're a car thief or whatever it is that you did. Now, let's ramp up the illustration a little bit. Here in Romans 6, it's like this. It has to do with union with Christ. What does that mean? What does union with Christ have to do with justification? Here's what it is. It's not just that the judge says, you're not guilty. The judge also says, I'm adopting you as my son, and you're moving home with me, and I'm going to slowly train you how not to steal cars, how not to even want to steal cars, one of the ways I'm going to do this is I'm going to give you as many cars as you want. I'm going to promise you the life of the age to come. You have whatever car you want. Now, the judge knows that there are going to be times when we're going to want to steal a car because we're still living in the right now. And when he's going to come to us, he's not going to say, oh, you know what, let's go back to court and let's reverse that decision. He's going to say no. He's going to say that decision stands. You are innocent. You're not guilty. You are a slave of me now. Won't really say that, right? This is what Paul says, speaking in human terms because of our limitations. You belong to me now. You are my child. You can't be judged for that anymore. But because you can't be judged for that anymore, you don't need to steal cars anymore, because you belong to me. Let me give you one more example. Have you guys ever heard of the story of Hero Onoda? Hero Onoda? Onoda was a Japanese soldier in World War II and he was assigned, near the end of the war, he was assigned. His troop was assigned to an island on the Philippines. The Americans had taken over the Philippines again under General MacArthur. He was assigned to fight there, and as soon, almost as soon as he got to the island, his platoon was like decimated by Allied fight, Allied gunfire. It was just him and three other of his compatriots in the platoon that were left. He had, almost as soon as he got there, he had been promoted to lieutenant. So he kind of ranked, and he said to his three compatriots, he was like, we got to retreat and get out of here. Let's go back up to the hills. And they went and kind of hold up there. And they were determined to like, create a defense and fight. A couple weeks after that, a plane dropped a leaflet, a series of leaflets on their, on their camp saying, the war's over. Japan has surrendered. You guys can come out now. And so they look at this leaflet and they're like, no. The Allies do this kind of stuff to us all the time. This is a trick. We're staying here. And so they stay there. Every once in a while, like somebody from one of the towns would come up and would would leave a note on the pass that they knew that those guys used, saying, the war's over. It really was over. The the, uh, the treaty had been signed on the USS Missouri. Leaving notes saying, hey, you guys, you don't have to fight anymore because the war's over. And they were like, nope, they're still trying to trick us. One of the guys left, one of the soldiers left. Two of the soldiers were killed in gunfire with local police still fighting, until Hiro Onoda was the only one left. He managed to stay hidden up there. Everybody knew he was there in the town. He managed to stay up there fighting by himself until 1974, almost 30 years he stayed up there. And so finally there's this young Japanese kid, uh, later Hiro told the story and said it was some hippie kid who came up looking for him, saying, I've always wanted to meet you, you know, I've heard your story. Look, I'm telling you the truth, that Japan surrendered. And he's like, I don't believe you. And he's like, what do I need to do to get you to believe me that the war's been over for 30 years and you don't have to fight anymore? And he's like, I'll believe it if my old commanding officer comes back and tells me. So he goes back to Japan and they find his commanding officer, fly him to the Philippines and he goes up there and says, I'm giving you orders to surrender, which he does. Now he had killed several people. He killed two or three people while he was up there. Thinking that he was in a war, that the Philippine government like, said you're not guilty because it was just kind of a weird situation. I want you to forget about him for just a second and think about what the Filipinos' life was like with him up there. There's this guy up there that shoots at you if you get too close, right? And you know who it is. You know it's a Japanese soldier who thinks that the war's still going on. There's two mistakes those Filipinos could have made. One is to take that guy too seriously, to say, well, maybe we're wrong. There's a guy shooting at us. Maybe the war is still going on. Maybe we haven't won. Maybe the battle's still happening. Not many of you struggle with that. That's not a particularly Lutheran problem to think. You know what? I still struggle with sin. Maybe I'm not really a Christian. Some of you do, but not a lot of you. Most Lutherans that I know struggle with the the other problem, not taking him seriously enough. Like, the war's over. There's no danger. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Like, there's nothing to worry about, you know, the war's over. You're right that the war's over, but what you're wrong about is that there's no danger. I hear Lutherans talk like this a lot, like, hey, man, you know, you're in Christ, you're not under the law, you pretty much can do whatever you want, just ask forgiveness if it's something that's kind of crazy, you know, you ask forgiveness, but God forgives you and then you can keep on doing what you want. That actually doesn't take the guy up in the hills seriously enough, because that's the position that we're in. The war's over. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, it's done. It's guaranteed that God will control the world someday through Jesus Christ. It's guaranteed that the new creation will happen. It's guaranteed that you will be sanctified. But it doesn't mean that there aren't, your old slave master isn't up there trying to shoot at you every once in a while. We have to be on guard against him. Not because he's ever going to defeat us, but because he's already defeated, and so he's scared, and he's going crazy, like a wounded animal, and he's going to try to hurt you. He can't kill you, but he can hurt you badly. So what Paul is doing here, and this is just part one of what we're going to continue next week, what Paul is doing here is saying, you're in Jesus Christ, you don't need to serve that guy anymore. You don't need to be slave. When you feel the temptation to sin, say, I I don't work for you anymore. That's not who I am. My status is in Christ. I'm free to not sin. Let's pray. God, be with us, uh, especially this week as we go and we live our lives. Help us not to be slaves to sin. This is something that's difficult because... uh, we all too often listen to the lies of our own flesh and of the world and of the enemy, uh, saying that they're in charge and that we don't have a choice but to obey them. Convince us by the power of your Holy Spirit that in the death and resurrection of your son Jesus, you have liberated us and we no longer need to serve those old slave drivers. Work this in our hearts, Father, for your own glory, for your own namesake. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you guys could stand with me. Let's confess our Christian faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together in Jesus' name, the prayer that He taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
0: To see the pain